This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. As you may know, every week on Reset, we bring you conversations about sustainability and climate change and the environment. And in the last year, there has been a lot to talk about. Inflation Reduction Act passed. With $369 billion for clean energy programs, it's also the largest climate change bill in U.S. history. The Supreme Court severely cut the Environmental Protection Agency's ability to regulate carbon emissions from power plants. We are on a highway to climate hell with our foot still on the accelerator. Now that we're in 2023, let's take a look ahead at some of the biggest environmental stories that will shape our world in the months to come with Reset Sustainability contributor Karen Weigert. She directs the Baumert Center for Social Enterprise and Responsibility at Loyola University Chicago. Welcome back, Karen, and great to see you in studio. Good to see you, Sasha. (laughs) For the first time. All right, so I want to start with some potentially promising news. Okay, the Securities and Exchange Commission has promised a rule that publicly traded companies will have to make their carbon emissions public. What would this do and what impact would it have? Yeah, this is a big one. And it's not in a place where you expect to see climate activity. This is the SEC. This is about investments. And so this is about serious, hardcore data. And uh, that's really what's interesting about this is this is a potential requirement. They announced it last year. They took public comment, and we anticipate that they'll announce the final rule possibly even this first quarter. But it requires publicly traded companies to put serious data, investor quality data out there in their 10Ks, in their annual reports and other disclosures about their carbon emissions and essentially about their carbon risk. So it's a whole new era. Could there be backlash There absolutely will be. Uh, It's new data. Folks might not want to have to disclose climate data. But an important backdrop here is that most big companies are disclosing some kind of climate data already. The majority do. So this is about consistent data that would be available to all investors and all decision makers across the investment universe. Why is it important to require this data? It's important for two reasons at a simple level. One is that climate is consistently now a material factor for many, many industries. And uh, it's often a factor that indicates what might be happening to an investment. So this is about making sure that everyone has the right data and that there's a consistent way to understand what those climate risks might be as you're thinking about where dollars could go. But another part is this is big picture, longer term, about getting climate emissions under control, about reducing those emissions. And so this really creates a lot of transparency because it will require companies to disclose what are essentially called scope one and scope two, and in the proposal, at least scope three emissions. And so those are emissions directly under their control and emissions from their supply chain. So we'll have to see what's in the final rule uh, when we see it most likely in the next few months. Well, as we heard in that intro, the Inflation Reduction Act, that was a huge piece of climate legislation. Uh, last year, and the money's starting to become available. So talk to us. How is it being dispersed, and, and what can folks use it for? As you as you said, it is a huge piece of legislation, the largest climate bill really ever in the United States. And uh, the summary is about $369 billion will be available. Um, and it's available really to decarbonize your life in a sense. And a big piece of that is where you live, and that's your home. So there's a significant amount of money in here that will come through. A lot will come through the states, actually about having the opportunity to make your home more efficient and then to have decarbonized appliances. So heat pumps, some of the things that we've talked about on the show. Right. But how can you have more or less electrification in the core operations of your home? So it's really about how can you have that opportunity to change where you live uh, and to have that be part of a carbon solution. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of ideas there. What, what primarily should folks keep in mind, you think, when it comes to this act? Yeah, I think from a really practical standpoint that there are real dollars that will be available. It could be up to $14,000 for homes, depending on your income level. That's amazing. So look for real money. 
And also keep in mind, this is a decade-long bill. So there's an opportunity in multiple years to have that chance to have the dollars benefit you. And what it does for homes is only one part of it. There's dollars for transportation and other things, but certainly that there are pieces of this that could translate into your daily life. Yeah. Renewable energy, that's going to be a big question that, that comes up this year. What counts? Yeah, this is coming up from a, an EPA proposal, and it's it, the way it's coming up right now is in essentially what counts as renewable fuel. Okay, and so that's the blend of uh, different materials, typically fossil-based, but increasingly things like ethanol that are blended into the fuels that might be used in your vehicle and might be also used to heat your home. So it's a, a federal mix essentially. It's a, a program that was started back in two thousand and five, and so the EPA is adjusting or proposing adjusting. What counts? And so you know, does ethanol, corn-based, does that count as renewable? It, it does in this. And there are other elements, uh, burning wood chips and things count. And so some of those things essentially do have fossil fuels embedded in them, in the, you know, in the fertilizers and the production. So there's a real question here about how do you move faster to decarbonize? The goal of the program is decarbonizing. And as you look at some of the elements that count as renewables, there is more fossil embedded in them. Mm-hmm. And so I think the question will be, how do you move faster away from uh, the fossil, but move it toward things that aren't embedding a different kind of emissions? What does this look like on the state level? The fuels are largely a federal question. On the state level, it's a super point because it, what you see a lot of here in Illinois is the move to electrification. And so you skip this issue. So if your vehicle is running off electricity, you have to worry about electrifying the grid. You don't have to worry about well, what's in the fuel mix. And so that's a lot of what we see in Illinois. Um, there's also signage, actually, on some of the highways about where you can find an EV charging station or, or see if yes, that's your vehicle. Yes, I saw a ton of that on my road trip, my recent road trip. Absolutely. I was, I was quite proud. <laughs> um, speaking of, of road trips, it makes me think of the holidays and, and the fact that flying is something that a lot of us have been doing lately, but we know it's also hugely detrimental to the planet, right? What are some of the efforts to reduce emissions from jet fuel? Yeah, jet fuel is definitely a tough one. And globally, emissions from aviation are, call it 2% uh, of global emissions, but they're in what's called a hard-to-abate sector. So you can't electrify a plane the way you can a car. The weights don't work. And so one of the things that's been happening is a move towards sustainable aviation fuels, and it's essentially trying to have new ways to create the same chemical fuel base that you can essentially drop into existing aircraft. Now, we actually have one of the companies that's uh, a big grower in this space based in Chicago, Lancerjet. So they just got a $40 million investment from Breakthrough Energy. So there is a growth in that space in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And, but it's really about how do you essentially re, recreate the fuels in a way that has fewer emissions because the planes can't run on batteries the same way a vehicle can. The size just doesn't work. Right, right. Well, let's talk about biodiversity, right? It got a boost from the UN. Last year, nations made their first global agreement to protect the planet and nature, and it was geared at being implemented in 2030. So tell us more about that and what you're anticipating is going to happen this year. Yeah, that is a a big move. And it's a parallel would be to think about it like the Paris Climate Accord was for climate, this is the same thing only for biodiversity. So a first big global agreement ever with goals around 2030, really focusing on specific elements of managing well 30% of the lands around the globe. So it's a new age now in terms of the way companies are engaging. 
but it's also reflecting a growing understanding of the risks around biodiversity for all of us. And so what I think we're going to see more and more, particularly this year, is more companies actually disclosing and trying to better understand their risks around nature. And we're certainly seeing more growth in nature-based solutions and companies trying to embed it. So similar to the SEC, in a sense, the disclosure around climate, there actually is more work on disclosing nature and biodiversity from companies. That's earlier stage. That's not a requirement here. But it's an example of this growth at the UN level is something that we're seeing in multiple places with a real focus on nature and biodiversity. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're running through what are likely to be some of the biggest stories related to climate and the environment this year. And we're talking with Reset Sustainability contributor Karen Weigert. So the Supreme Court, Karen, it's likely to rule on a case that would reduce the government's ability to regulate wetlands. Explain this. Does it directly relate to the water that we drink? Yeah, so this is a case that they're likely to rule on. They took oral arguments late last year, and it really is about the jurisdiction over waters. And there's a a term, waters of the United States. So your question, does it relate to drinking water? Ultimately, it does relate to drinking water because all water is connected. And that's part of the challenge, and that's really what's being looked at here is where do you draw the line in terms of where the federal government has jurisdiction? And how do you work with this language that is a bit vague, but it's really the Clean Water Act. You're going back to 1972, so there's a lot of precedent and work here. Uh, But the Supreme Court did hear arguments, and it's a case that is looking at wetlands and does the federal government have jurisdiction depending on where they sit physically. Yeah. What did the, the EPA's ruling in EPA versus West Virginia tell us about how the court's likely to rule here? Yeah, so that case, the the Supreme Court certainly took attack of of uh, giving the EPA less latitude, so essentially narrowing what they could do. What's interesting here is in the in the discussion and the oral arguments, there seemed to be skepticism from the Supreme Court justice on, on kind of both ends of the argument that was being made here. So it may be more that this is a narrowing, but not as extreme as people might have anticipated. But we don't know yet. Yeah, but this really is an, an important one as we think about the future of water. And depending on how they go, it could change how you know, they could leave 50 plus percent of wetlands not regulated. Mm-hmm. So it has a huge, huge, huge range of what the implications could be. But the oral arguments didn't suggest that it was absolutely going one way or the other. Well, the Biden administration is trying to pass a clean water regulation to, to get ahead of a potential ruling. What's happening? Yeah, so the EPA has announced essentially a revised definition of how they're thinking of some of this work. And there was a a, a sort of a precedent in a way that water had been viewed, and then the Obama administration changed it. The Trump administration went very much the other way. And so the Biden team is coming back and trying to provide a little more clarity. Will it provide that clarity? Well, we have to see where the Supreme Court goes. But they did get out their proposal ahead of that in terms of trying to provide a stronger understanding for when landowners would have to get a permit, when they're when their lands are in fact covered. Uh, but the big picture is it's it's a broad definition of water in the United States, and that's what the language has to come back to. Yeah, uh, the UN is supposed to have it, its first water conference in like 50 years this year, right? It, what would that do? Yeah, it's, it's amazing to think about how important these issues are and uh, how global organizations can really elevate a discussion <clears throat> and then lead to specific actions that then companies and then really countries take. So when you have a global UN agreement, it usually, and if you get a dis- an agreement, it's about com- it's about country level decisions. 
And so what you anticipate here is this growth in the understanding of the importance of water and uh, the ambiguities that exist in different water bodies. So we'll have to see where they go. But when you have the Paris Climate Accord is one example, and now you have nature and really biodiversity from late last year, there's a real question about can can global, global global countries come together and really align around water? Uh, but recognizing these agreements have to be followed through with execution. Mm-hmm. And so we have yet to meet the goals that were set in Paris from the country level, and obviously the biodiversity goals are brand new. So big big picture topic, unclear where it goes. Yeah. Well, in these last couple minutes I have, we've got to talk about weather, Karen. We, we saw extreme weather around the new year. Here in the Midwest, we saw a sudden 30-degree drop in temperatures, while many countries in Europe – They've seen record warm temperatures for January so far. A, a bomb cyclone and another so-called atmospheric river, that's coming to California. I saw some crazy video of that this morning. What are the trends here that we're seeing? Yeah, These are really weird words. These are not words we typically use when we're describing bomb weather. Bomb cyclone? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so what do, we, what do we look at here? There are underlying trends about the globe warming. I think you know, that that is certainly the case. So uh, when you look at a, a hotter winter in Europe, that is an extreme that is very much in line with what we would anticipate seeing more of as carbon stays where it is or continues to increase, depending on what we all do collectively. Uh, and then you do see more extremes in weather. So we expect more storms and things. In this this winter, there's a lot of discussion about, is that a trend? Is that a one-off? Was that just going to happen? But broadly, the extremes in weather, particularly around heat and particularly around storms that relate to warmer oceans, those are absolutely, unfortunately, in line with climate change. Yeah. Well, before we go, it's January 5th, and I've got a very important question for listeners out there who celebrate. Have you gotten rid of your Christmas tree yet? That's a very good question. Um, And for listeners who celebrate, if they do still have a live tree, there's a fairly environmentally friendly thing you can do, which is recycle it. And uh, the city actually has uh, the opportunity to recycle. 26 of the parks will take your tree starting the 7th. So that's this weekend. And it runs for a couple weeks. You don't have to all do it on the 7th. Um, But they'll be essentially chopped up and mulched. So your Christmas tree can have a second life. Uh, in some of the natural areas around our city, but just make sure that it doesn't have any ornaments or tinsel or anything. And this is really for your tree to have that opportunity to have a, a sustainable activity kick off your year. That's awesome. Thank you. Reset Sustainability, sustainability Contributor Karen Weigert. <laughs> Appreciate your time. Great to have you.